0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Friends of Firefighters, serving the FDNY community since 2001. Learn more at friendsoffirefighters.com. This week on a special bonus episode of Meat in 3, we find out why the bacon, egg, and cheese, that classic bodega sandwich, is popping up on menus of New York's trendiest restaurants.
0: We did a few iterations of it, and I was trying to fancify it. We tried the sausage, egg, and cheese, and then we tried to put sharmoula sauce on it. We used feta cheese, and we're just like, taking ingredients of the Mediterranean, if you will, and try to infuse it. But uh, for me, it was like a car wreck.
1: Tune in to hear about the wild journey of the bacon, egg, and cheese from deli to fine dining on Meat in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, available wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: So you don't, so you don't shun
0: the, the devil, devil, devil with, the devil devil with, the devil devil with devil your rock and roll, roll load. load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The roll devil roll. runs his in that
3: rhythm
1: and blues that sound. It's gonna get you.
4: Welcome back to The Speakeasy. I'm Southern Teague. I'm Greg Benson. Hey, buddy. Hey, man. How's it going? Great. How's your week? Ah, can't complain, dude. I uh, mean, last week we were talking and you were super stoked about the your baseball team. Yeah, they played their
3: first game last night and they won, which is good. Um, it was it about goddamn near gave me a heart attack to watch because it was terrifying right up to the end. Because it's not a victory for my team if it's not a heart stopping carnival of bad pitching in the late innings. But you know what, we got there. <laughs> what team is this again? This
4: is uh, the Washington Nationals. And was this a home game? This was an away game. So, they're so. Not, so they haven't played a game yet. You, you said, I think you said it off air last week. They haven't played a. Uh, you tell it. So uh, <laughs> you tell it better than I do. So this is the <laughs> oh shucks. So
3: this is um, the fourth time that DC is going to be hosting uh, the World Series. But it is the fourth first time in time, the history of the of the franchise, fourth time in the history of the sport of baseball. Oh shit! Uh, that DC will host the World Series, but it is the first time ever that uh, Washingtonians will be able to drink beer during the game because oh. the other three times are all during Prohibition. Yeah. Pretty fascinating fact, right? Yeah. That's pretty dope. Well, and it's also, and the the other funny thing, because I've been doing a little research on it this week because I've been uh, pitching it out there to various news outlets seeing if they wanted to do a more in-depth focus on this, if any of you were listening. Um, but the last one, the last time that the World Series was in D.C. was in 1933. So, you know, technically, um, people could still drink, could drink 3.2% beer because we're talking the fall of 1933. Mm-hmm. Spring of 1933 FDR announces this fun, sneaky little workaround to uh, Prohibition, Uh, you know, Prohibition, just to catch everybody up, wasn't repealed until December of 33, but in April of 33, FDR kind of goes around the back of the 18th Amendment and says, okay, the sale, transportation, exportation, manufacture, et cetera, of intoxicating liquors, that was the wording, intoxicating liquors is still illegal, but... I'm going to legally sign a bill that says beer brewed at 3.2% under is legally quantified as non-intoxicating. That being said, because D.C. was and still is a vassalhood of Congress and doesn't really have say over its own laws and regulations, it was still dry, I think, until the spring of 44 was when its own prohibition was repealed. Holy shit. But there are newspaper articles that say that the reason that beer wasn't sold at those baseball games was because it was close to uh, the old soldier's home and they didn't want to offend anyone. (laughs) The implication being that people were just fucking drinking anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't... can't, If there's one thing that we learned from that whole
4: debacle, it's that you can't stop people from drinking beer when they really, really want to. Well, yeah. I mean, you want to make something super delicious, prohibit it. (laughs) Exactly. Prohibition is the best sauce. Yep. (laughs) I always... I always, whenever someone gets the last of
3: something at any bar or restaurant I've ever worked at, I always make a point of telling them that they got the last one because shit tastes better when other people can't have it.
4: That's right. Yeah. That's a very valid point, I think. (laughs) And then you say it loud enough that everybody around them hears it, too. Exactly. Or maybe you just set it on the bar and you say, well, we can can auction this one. It's the last one. Yeah.
3: Just put it out there. (laughs) I put it out there and I'm like, you know, the the announcer in the Thunderdome. I'm like, fight! Yeah. Uh,
4: Well, I've had a pretty... um, mild week for me, I guess, you know, uh, did a few things, Um, gearing up for, I got less than 30 days till the Union Square Holiday Market opens, and I somewhat foolishly procured and secured a booth at that market. (laughs) (laughs) You're the dog that caught the car, man. Yes, i the dog that <laughs> caught the car, and now I don't know what to do with it. Um, just running some preliminary numbers. So it's a booth in, in Union Square. They they have a holiday market every year. It's uh, just these little booths. There's, I don't know, maybe a hundred of them. I don't know how many there are. Um, and um, I, I got one, and I'm going to be selling my book, uh, my books, both of them, and bidders. Um, but the booth's six by 12, and the uh, over one million individual human beings go through this thing each year. Including me. I, I bought something from the Union Square market oh, yeah. every, year, yeah. every year. And just the sheer volume of stuff that I have to have to make it operate for 33 days straight, 11 a.m. to 8 p.m., is insane. So, for instance, I've already received 50 cases of I'm just here for the drinks at my apartment. <laughs> and I have somewhere in the neighborhood of a, well, 1,200 cases of bitters on the way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Also, you know, it'll be holiday time, and I'll be busy at the bars too. Bazing. I mean, you
3: you you just keep finding ways to make the spaces that you live and work in smaller.
0: (laughs) Yeah,
4: it's um, it's a knack. It's It's a a skill set. It's yeah, it's a knack. Speaking of small spaces, um, we're in the studio today. We got Matt Levy. He's uh, he's the founder of the Covert Cocktail Club. Matt, welcome to the studio. Thanks so much, Southern. Glad to be here. Super glad to see you. We've been uh, good to have you, man. We've been. Uh, you know uh, Acquaintances uh, For years uh, We were somewhat Neighbors for a little bit Of time right When you were Operating uh, uh, That little museum Over in Brooklyn Near near when I worked yeah. At Rye Yeah the City Reliquary City Reliquary and I was even at Rye A couple of times Not a lot of times A couple of times When you must have been there Because uh, Had to be yeah There was your joint In the beginning I was there There's good meatloaf Good old fashions All the time yeah uh, Honestly that's where I like Honed and sharpened My old fashioned Like I, that's the old fashioned That I still serve Yeah Like, that's the one that I really... It used to be 5 bucks, right? Dove into. Yeah, well, that was after I left, but they started doing a happy hour there for $5, $5 happy hour.
2: I know the deals. I like the
4: deals. Yeah, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll talk about that, too. You mentioned it earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you ran that joint, and and that place, you know, was history about this city that we live in?
2: Yeah, the City Reliquary Museum, um, I called it a collection of collections of New York City ephemera. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is pretty, it's, it's on point, like statuettes of liberty or uh, uh, flattened pennies with the Empire State Building on them, Jackie Robinson's business card. Um, I didn't. I, yeah, it's it's pretty dope. It's it says Jackie Robinson's <laughs> home phone number. Um, <laughs> uh, right, but it's six yeah. digits. Goes within, you know, we, we weren't <laughs> up to seven yet. It was like K Y seven exactly. Four, right, four, four, three, two. Um, uh, I was the events coordinator at the City Reliquary, and then the vice president with a bunch of dedicated volunteers that just ran the place. And it's a scrappy little underdog of a museum. I'm sure you're familiar with scrappy and underdog. Indeed. <laughs> and small and cluttered and delightful and delicious. And um, yeah, and that's we were neighbors essentially.
4: Yeah, and you, this spurred on what it is you've you've kind of wound up doing with your life, right? Or, or I guess they must have overlapped. You you also have a, a tourism business, a tour company. Yeah, it's called the Levy's Unique New York. Unique New York, Unique New York. I, you know you need I, Unique New York. I'm a professional right. at it at this point,
2: <laughs> even with my bizarro non-native Brooklyn accent. No, native Brooklynite, non-Brooklyn
4: accent. And you. With that business, you you literally tour people around.
2: That's what we do, yeah. It's a a father-son run business. My dad and I started it together in 2003. Um, We do uh, custom-designed private tours of New York, which means uh, groups as small as one person. It's a very intimate tour to groups as large as 250 marching high school band kids from Texas coming to New York to march in the Thanksgiving Day Parade. We got 20 tour guides that work for us, and we do tours of the city, Manhattan, Brooklyn, and the other boroughs.
4: And when you say custom, like, I could just call you up and say, like, show me, I don't know, all the greatest Greek restaurants in New York. Exactly.
2: Um, or, for example, uh, we'd spend a lot of time in Astoria. Um, yeah, we would. For example, you could say, uh, hey, Matt, um, I'm into art deco architecture, um, uh, neo-Grec architecture, and craft beer. And I'd be like, boom, here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend our time uh, in the lobby of the Chrysler, walking through Rock Center, checking out the American Radiator Building, which is now the Bryant Park Hotel. And then we'll stop by the Ginger
4: Man for a drink. Right? Amazing. Sweet. And you... you I mean... Okay... Now I've got a new question. <laughs> <laughs> That's how these things happen. Yeah, what? Uh, what's? I don't want to say those strange, but like, no, what's? A, what's a, a very unique experience that someone curated through you, or cool, you cool. curated for them based on their I got request? You. I got you. So, um, we do a, a tour called
2: our Brooklyn Nostalgia Tour, and the Brooklyn Nostalgia Tour always centers around this octogenarian that grew up in Brooklyn, since has since moved away, and wants to come back and visit the the old neighborhood, right? Um, so it involves uh, the said octogenarian, if their spouse is around, their adult children and their grandchildren. And um, generally, it's the adult children that are booking the tour. And they give us a list of the addresses, the childhood addresses, where they grew up, uh, the synagogues where they got bar mitzvahed, the movie theaters where they went necking. And let me tell you right now, every single octogenarian Brooklynite went necking at the Lowe's Kings on Flatbush <laughs> Avenue. Bar none, across the board, that's where they went necking. It's it's, it's astonishing. And we we get a vehicle. And we drive them around to their childhood homes. And when we get there, we knock on the door. And if someone's home, we say, hi, this is my client. They grew up in your house 70 years ago. Do you mind if we come in? And did people say yes?
4: Yeah, what's the percentage that say, get the fuck off my lawn?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, put yourself in their shoes. If someone did that to you in your current house...
4: And this I cute, think I'm little, a different I'm a hospitality exactly, guy right? I'd understand. be like Yeah, fucking right. come in That's amazing Tell me about your so, room Or whatever Here's a great story So I had this couple From San Antonio, Texas um, Grandma
2: was kind of losing it, unfortunately But grandpa was sharp Shh. as a whip And um, grandma grew up Down in Mill Basin Deep southwest Brooklyn, right? And uh, we drive up to the grandma's house and it, there's an ultra-ortho family sitting on the porch, a mom and her eight kids. And we, we get out of the, the sprinter van and the mom says, excuse me, you look lost. Can I help you? And I say, no, we're not lost. This is my client. She grew up in your house. And the woman says, Mishpucha, which is Yiddish for family. Mishpucha, come in, come in. <laughs> and we walk around this house and like I said, grandma was a little shaky with the memory, but as soon as we walk through that threshold, she nailed it. She was like, that was the bedroom. That's where we listened to the radio because it was the depression. That's where we sat on the floor and played cards. It was astonishing. Everyone was crying. The family, the the (laughs) ortho family was crying. I was crying. They were crying. It was amazing. And that is a once in a lifetime experience. It's it's it's. Dope.
4: And you curate these daily with this business and I, more than once, right? Because yeah, you yeah. got twenty tour guides. We do have twenty those tour guides. Twenty tours for happening at any given the, moment.
2: The Brooklyn nostalgia tour is rare. We do those maybe three or four a year, but most of the tours we do are for
4: tourists. How much of that tour is impossible to do? How much of that tour is like, yeah, well, here's the address of the thing that used to be here. It's a new building now. For now the now nostalgia it's a tour,
2: yeah, you know, well, they <laughs> yeah, exactly. say you realize you're a New Yorker when you go past something. I mean, I've always been a New Yorker, born and bred in Brooklyn, but for those people who've moved here and have become New Yorkers. You first become a New Yorker when you see a spot that you remember and you're like, ah, that used to be a great diner or, yeah. oh, man, do you remember that bookstore? <laughs> oh, I used to buy zines there. Like, forget about it. That's what that's how you know you're a New Yorker. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's just like,
3: oh, and, and it's always a moment of like, oh, God damn it. That place is closed.
2: <laughs> yeah. City bakery, and it's man. A, and it's a cell phone store now. Like, come on. Yeah. You know, it's so it's, it's give and take. It's give and take. Most of the tours we do, I'd say about like 80% of the tours we do are touristy stuff. New York City highlights uh, on a vehicle, whether it's a, like an Escalade for a family of four or a 50 passenger Greyhound type motor coach for that marching band from Texas, covering Manhattan from Central Park to Battery Park. The other 20% are like street art and gentrification tours. So three hours starting in Dumbo, ending in Bushwick. Hey, look at Dumbo. Clean streets, fancy buildings, <laughs> yeah. nice cobblestones, Scandinavian design stores, eh, lots of tourists. Hey, look at Bushwick. It's gritty. It's industrial. Considerable amount of tourists. What's the difference? You know, that it's it's like viewing gentrification between these two neighborhoods through the lens of street art. That's one of those tours. That's like a non-obvious uh, interesting tour we do.
4: A unique tour. This is pretty amazing. So you have to like, I don't know, you have to like... A, know your shit, mm-hmm. but be uh, I'm sure that uh, doing it since 2003, you've amassed yeah. a, a great deal of experience with it, so you can put these things together pretty on the fly. As have my guides as well. Yeah, right. Of course. And then, but then, you know, I always say, you know, when I was a, a teacher, like teaching is learning, so right. every time you do these things, you're learning more about the, the stuff yourself.
2: It's pretty amazing.
4: Pretty fascinating. It's pretty amazing,
2: yeah. It's a good time.
4: Well, we're right at this point where we can take a quick break. We're going to come back and keep talking to Matt Levy. Uh, We're going to get into talking about drinks and drinking, and we're going to do some drinking when we come right back on the Speakeasy. Stay tuned. Beautiful.
1: This episode is brought to you by Friends of Firefighters, serving the FDNY community since 2001. Friends of Firefighters is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to providing free, independent, and confidential mental health counseling and wellness services to active and retired FDNY firefighters and their family members. Friends of Firefighters was born within days of September 11, 2001, through the performance of several unobtrusive acts of kindness offered by the local community. Over the past 18 years, Friends of Firefighters has expanded to meet the growing needs of the FDNY community. Today, the organization provides a safe haven in an old restored firehouse in Red Hook, Brooklyn, where New York City firefighters, active and retired, can relax, meet with their peers, receive counseling with no stigma attached, exchange information, and access an array of services specific to their needs. To learn more and find out how you can get involved, go to friendsoffirefighters.com.
0: Join Heritage Radio Network on Monday, November 11th for a raucous feast to toast a decade of food radio. Our 10th anniversary Bacchanal is a rare gathering of your favorite chefs, mixologists, storytellers, thought leaders, and culinary masterminds. We'll salute the inductees of the newly minted HRN Hall of Fame who embody our mission to further equity, sustainability, and deliciousness. Explore the beautiful Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Café Taste and imbibe to your heart's content, and bid on once-in-a-lifetime experiences and tasty gifts for any budget at our silent auction. Tickets available now at heritageradionetwork.org slash gala.
4: And we're back on the speakeasy with Matt Levy from Covert Cocktail Club. But real quick, I want to mention, like I'm super stoked for the 11th, uh, the oh, gala, it's be dope, man. The it's gala that they dumb. were just talking yeah. about. Unfortunately for me, I don't get to be there this year. This will be the first one I haven't been to in several years because I double booked myself. I'm teaching classes at Portland Cocktail Week way out in Portland, so I can't obviously be in Brooklyn. But I created a cocktail using one of our sponsored brands, and you're going to make it. I know. I'll be there pouring it. it, Schmoozing and boozing, man. It's what I do. Moving and Boozing it's and checking life. out and checking out like the vast array of like uh, auction items that they do and and hanging out with you know cool people from the, the I'm network so like uh, Dave Arnold's going to be there making drinks as well and oh, and the and the uh, beautiful thing is that like I
3: don't you know we I we meet the people that are here in the studio before us and after us but yeah. there's so much awesome programming that this station does that like I've never I know the hosts voices but I've never actually met them so yeah I'm it's weird to right actually be
4: like oh it's it's you guys yeah it's like we occupy the same space but not at the same time so yeah. we, we never see each other. Anywho, we're back with Matt Levy from Covert Cocktail Club. Matt, you brought us a cocktail. I'm going to crack it open. It's in a a mason jar. It is. Or a jar like a mason jar. Adaptive reuse, baby. What do we got here? Uh, That's my uh, Banana Vardier 3.0.
2: Ooh, what the (laughs) (laughs) 3.0? It's a third iteration of the cocktail. It took a lot of tweaking to get it right.
3: I like all of the words that are in that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So um, it's a, as, as the pun should explain, it's a Boulevardier. Um... With uh, pineapple-infused Campari Ooh. and banana liqueur. Um oh, and God. The pineapple part is what made it a 3.0. The first time I made it— I mean,
4: that's the bursting aroma is pineapple. Yeah, yeah. It's coming right off the top.
2: And I'll tell you, it's it's a tasty tipple.
3: Yeah, you mm. get that intense, like, that sweet, stingy pineapple thing on the nose. It really hits you right, right away.
4: So let's talk about bartending a little bit. Shoot. Where have you worked in the past behind the bar? Um, my kitchen. <laughs> so nowhere.
2: I am a self-taught bartender. I've never spent one day behind a stick uh, in a proper bartending job uh, in my life.
4: You've never even done like a stage of mm-hmm. fucking, no. Uh, What's a stage? Where you can where you, I do stages I at a more all the time. To your we have, right there. That's yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I do stages at a more usually on Wednesdays actually. I do a stage uh, where you know, someone uh, who uh, is a burgeoning bartender yeah. who comes and hangs out with me behind the bar for a shift.
2: Oh yeah, no, I'd love to. Anyone want to invite me to their bar? Oh, that sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like I don't work behind bars. So how did, So what? What was?
3: What was the? What was the? What was the the, <laughs> the inception? The inception. Greg, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got
4: Greg stammering. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just. I Thank mean.
3: You. Cheers. Cheers. I f- I I mean, I'm stammering because I feel like there's got to be like. I don't know if there's like a lightning moment where it's like, oh, this is something I'd want to do. If it's something that you, you know, pick up, you know, you buy a book, you get yeah. interested. Yeah. I mean, truth be told, that's how I got into it. Like, yeah. you know, I picked up a cocktail recipe book and I was like, it was this snowball effect of, oh, I'd like to make this. And I have three of the four bottles. So I'm going to buy the fourth one. Yeah. And you have an extra thing lying around. And then you have that as another tool to be like, oh, oh, I have four of the five ingredients for this next drink. Was it just kind of a slow, gradual process or what?
2: Yeah, that's as speaking as an autodidact to a fellow autodidact, <laughs> um, that's how it happens. When nerds get into things, they really get into them, whether it's by tiptoe, whether it's by like Jesse Owens' leaps and bounds, right? Um, and so. Being a self-taught bartender, I just like to drink. I like cocktails. I love history, as evidenced by the tourism company that I run. Um, And I always enjoyed making drinks for myself and my wife and my family and my friends. And I just figured I'd take that next leap and make them for strangers.
3: So, yeah, that's the leap that I don't (laughs) understand. Because I know a lot of people who have done the, I'm going to, you know, have a really nice home bar. And I'm going to make it for my friends and my family and my girlfriend and whatever. But... Yeah, where did you? No one that I know besides you has taken leap to be like.
2: I'm gonna have a whole bunch of strangers just come over to my house and just hang out. <laughs> for hours. Um, so here's how that happened. So in a previous life, um, I was a performance artist slash poet. Um, it's what I did at college. Um, I made up my own degree in performance art poetry, and I said that involved both slam type of poetry as well as weird avant garde performance type poetry. But that in itself kind of mutated into hosting. Performative type games and engaging activities for strangers at parties. Uh, a good example I like to give is that way back in the early aughts, when the Williamsburg waterfront was still had warehouse parties, there was a truck stop theme party uh, with rockabilly bands and tall boy Budweiser shotgun competitions. And um, <laughs> and I installed a, a truck stop shower stall installation piece, which was a bucket with a shower curtain rigged to it. And I'd stand next to the bucket and have people step inside the bucket. And I'd run the shower curtain around them. And I'd spritz them with a water bottle while singing Home, Home on the Range. And I'd charge them 65 cents to do it. <laughs> Truck stop, shower stall, right? Um, idiosyncratic, weird, funny, friendly, but still weird experiences involving strangers and engaging them in, in activities. Um, back in the poetry life, I once made poetry omelets for people at Bushwick Open Studios. People would visit me in my studio, um, I'd talk to them, I'd write a poem for them on edible rice paper, I'd rip it up, and they'd make an omelet with it. Tasted like shit, but it was, uh, it was still a, a delicious poem that you <clears throat> ate, basically. So it's that type of performance art, and that type of engaging with strangers in your home space is not that far of a leap from opening up a speakeasy in one's house.
4: Sure, so you you had this in in you already.
2: As a performer, I would say, yeah.
4: So you consider what you're doing more performance?
2: I I consider what I'm doing more, it's definitely performance, absolutely, but so is bartending to a a degree. I'd say it's the same kind of matrix level of um, performing slash hosting slash emceeing uh, slash social engineering, Um, which are all things that bartenders do. Bartenders are a lot more workhorsing uh, around it there's a lot more workhorse when you're banging out drinks at the type of bars that you guys work at and have worked at. Um, what I do, because I have such a small coterie of people that come to drink, it's maximum 10 people a night, two to three nights a week, uh, it's, it's a lot more social engagement. And I consider it more, rather than a performance, I consider it an experience.
4: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that that's that, that I think that was my, my baseline question. Cool. We we already talked off air about a bar that we we know and love called the Threesome Toll Booth, exactly. which is absolutely experiential. Exactly. The drinks are delicious, of course, but it is it is all about the experience. It's about the experience. That's what you're paying for. And I love it. I've never been to your shop yet. You right? should come. And I, love I guess it's working. your house. <laughs> your house yet. Um but I'd love to come. We've talked about Please. it numerous times, but it's unfortunate Scheduling. that you, you run your thing the same nights that I work. So
2: Which is seven nights a week? Well, well, you're just busy seven. I'm always busy That's but, the point. <laughs> but
4: but you 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 typically run Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Wednesday, Thursday, that Friday is, occasional Saturdays That is my absolute schedule. I, I, I always work those three nights.
2: I'll figure i'm I'm gonna do a, an well, industry night. Oh, and uh, that's, I've already in, I'm in conversation with some bartenders and brand ambassadors for an industry night. and Have people show up on a Sunday or Monday? Yeah,
4: yeah. I'd love to be a part of that yeah. um, and see what it is you do. Now let's let's get to the the elephant in the room. I think <laughs> um, I you know as a business owner and operator have to go through a lot of like red tape and hurdles. Uh, and you're uh, you just uh, people come in and pay you. Right. They sure well, Let's do. talk about that. Let's, let's, so, let's, let's go ahead and say the, the word that's in the room, right? Speakeasy. <laughs> yeah. Speakeasy. You're on speakeasy radio, I but, am a speakeasy but you're radio. running a speakeasy.
2: I it was a nice confluence of uh, words there. Yeah, sure. Um, so, according to my accountant, and this is true, um, <laughs> I'm, and this is a direct quote I'm not running a bar. I'm not running a speakeasy. I'm running an educational seminar on alcohol.
4: Right. That, it, com- that comes with samples.
2: In, it comes with samples. People are paying for the experience, they're yeah. not paying for the drink. Um, it's four drinks per person uh, for eighty dollars each, plus shared snacks, um, and it's in my house, uh, which my wife and I own, uh, coming up on five and a half years now. So, because people are paying for the experience rather than for the drink, and because people are agreeing to the experience in advance, knowing the precarious situation of the circumstance, I ha- I imply I import upon people the importance of knowing what they're getting into.
4: Yeah. I mean, uh, that's
2: basically the gist of it, as well as the fact that I've got a one and a half year old and a six year old asleep upstairs. So it's speakeasy quite literally. I have to tell people to be quiet you. oftentimes throughout <laughs> the night because people get loud when they get drunk and people get loud when they get happy. And my place is a place of happy, loud drunks. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, it sounds kind of lovely. It sounds like I mean, it sounds like the, Thank you, so much. the you know. The dream bar that we all want of just like, you know, like having a bunch of strangers come in and, you know, I mean, it's like, it's like what you always say. It's like, you know, we're, we're in a, the hospitality experience business, not necessarily
4: in the Correct. Booze yeah. business. I yeah. do say that all the time. You know, it's pretty now, amazing. How if I, could get, away is. With, if I could get away without having a license. I know, yeah, maybe, maybe that means that you don't have to. Just let that shit lapse whenever it's up.
2: I do tell people to get to me before the SLA does. Yeah. <laughs> right. Which is much more of a joke than a fact, but.
4: Yeah. Uh, and you've been operating now for...
2: Next month will be three
4: years. Yeah. Which that's, is amazing. Outstanding.
2: My wife said to me the other night, she, like, right before people showed up, and I'm always exhausted before people show up at 9 p.m., like five minutes before 9 p.m., I hope, I hope and pray that all eight individuals, which generally come in sets of two, so it's like four two tops. So none of them know each other except for you know each two cook top each date knows one another. But none of them know each other, and nobody knows me. So five minutes before nine p.m., I'm secretly praying, "Oh dear God, I hope everybody cancels," because <laughs> you know it's a long day. You got a day job running a tour company. You got kids. You've got New York City. You've got the grind. And now I'm running a, like a, a late night cocktail club that's going to keep me up till one in the morning, putting like, serving drinks and clearing drinks, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then people show up, and man. It's awesome. It must get that, that that thrill that actors get before they go on stage. It's just, things fly by. It is so much fun.
3: Well, I'm sure, yeah, there's an electricity to doing something like that. And and I and I totally feel you on the, like, oh, God, I don't want to fucking do this again. <laughs> yeah. And then you get to it, and you're like, oh, this is, you know, oh, oh right, I forgot. This is the best part of my day.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's a weird, uh, you know, Feeling, I, I think I go through that too, especially when I work in a Maury Margot. Like I know, as I'm racing around to get things ready to open the doors at 5 p.m., that I'm gonna get killed. Like it's just, it's an inevitability. And it's also, but at the and- end of the night, it's a very fulfilling feeling. And I find weirdly that... the loomingness.
3: Yeah. But honestly, the the days where it's looming over me the most are the days where I have the most fun. I don't know if it's like a lack of pressure thing or what, but it's the days that I've always found where I'm like, I don't want to fucking do
4: this (laughs) today.
3: Where, you know, you kind of go in and all bets are off and you can just kind of... You know Enjoy the company Of some delightful strangers Yeah And these strangers Are
2: delightful people man It's real It's a trip
4: And I have to imagine It's a trip And you have no You have no real I guess Viewpoint of it I uh, Well I guess maybe I don't either Because I don't have your side But I have to imagine That the people are coming And they're paying you in advance Yeah Right Because you do For, like
2: I do a deposit in advance And then the rest of it's cash Right that they
4: have. Sure So they're, they're effectively Paying you in advance But it's a It's a set price Right and they're going out of their way to do this because I don't live in the cool part of Bushwick. So this is the
2: cool part of Bushwick right here. Yeah, I yeah. don't live near
4: here. I live near Ocean Hill. So, but so they're going out of their way to do this. Yeah. So they're stoked about it, big time. They're not just like, oh, we wandered into this bar and we're unhappy because the lighting's terrible, <laughs> right? Or whatever. I can't read whatever, my whatever, menu. whatever the fuck all I get. You know, like <laughs> people come in and they're just like, Price is too small. This isn't for me, right? But the, so they right. they've already made a commitment right. to you prior to showing up. That's got to change the dynamic.
2: It's So when, the way it works is I've magically figured out this price point per person of 80 bucks um, at, by, uh, that allows me to separate the wheat from the chaff, from people that are like really into it and are going for it, versus people that aren't and won't. For example, I don't get the shot, 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 bros. I don't get them. Because they know, everyone that's booking the experience knows it's craft cocktails in an intimate uh, location that's not near anything else, uh, and conversation with strangers, I rarely, rarely get wallflowers, and I rarely, rarely get people that just stare at their phone and scroll all night while their friends are talking to the strangers. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, everyone that shows up is in it for the experience and knows that the craft cocktails are going to be delicious.
4: So they're all engaged. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't even think about that aspect. You, no one's looking engaged. at their phone.
2: No one. I, I can, in three years of doing this, three, uh, three to four nights a week, um, I can think of, on one hand, the number of times I've had phone starers. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's God, that's lovely. Yeah. It's, yeah. and he, the best part, the best, single best experience that happens in the Covert Cocktail Club is when, so let's say, let's say for, for the sake of argument, I've got four two tops, right? Four dates. Um, none of them know each other. And one date on the far end of my kitchen island orders two drinks. And another date on the other end says, oh man, that looks really good. Um, tell me what you think, t- tell me what it tastes like. And the first date goes, hey, here, taste it. Yeah. yeah and it. that cocktail passes down among six other strangers. Yeah. And everyone takes a taste. Where does that happen?
4: Yeah. Nowhere. Nowhere. That doesn't happen except yeah. at my cocktail club. Yeah, that's brilliant. It's <laughs> uh, it, it, in fact, I use a similar story all the time about Amori Margo. It does sort of happen at my bar, but Ooh. I think it's because at a place like Mori Margo, where the menu and everything that's on offer is so similar that everyone, right. everyone in the room is for what the room does. Right. And we'll have uh, nightly. There'll be the situation where we've we've reached kind of capacity. It's very full, shoulder to shoulder. Two people are standing there already drinking something. Yeah. Two new people are reading their menu and they say to themselves out loud, "Oh, I think I might try the Sharpie mustache." And one of those two people just goes, "Here, try mine." It's delicious. It's magical. It happens all the time. It's and magical, I, and it blows me away because, as you just said, it's not a thing that has. It's mm-hmm. fucking New York. We're in New York. That's <laughs> Do you know not how many germs there yeah. are? Well, it's just like it's not a thing for a stranger. <laughs> we're also immunized to it at this point. <laughs> well, it's not. It's not a thing for a stranger to look at a stranger and say, "Try my drink." Yeah. Put your face you know, on this thing. I've also. To put my face <laughs> on, yeah. Oh, so, I, so I understand that yeah. magic, and I'm, and I'm super excited to hear that that, that happens in, it does. Other, in other places. nightly, when I'm open. And so, let's talk about the menu. Well, would you have sure. something?
3: I was going to say, are you kind of like a, do you see yourself as like an Emily Post figure, kind of like oh, you have Agnes. to like, you know, get out there Emily and stir Post. up conversation and make, you know, be a matchmaker between all these couples, or does you know, that kind of happen organically? It
2: happens organically, let's say 80 to 85% of the time. Um, I can think of, again, three years, uh, three to four nights a week, Um, I can think of uh, maybe on just under two hands a number of times there's been awkward silences where I've had to say, so, where's the last weirdest place you've been to? And then the conversation gets sparked. But because, again, people are engaged. People show
4: up engaged. Yeah, and I have to assume that, again, because of your other, your day job, Mm -hmm. you have a lot of interesting things to say and or create conversation from. Right. Yeah,
2: it's all, it's all up here. Right. Yeah,
4: You've got a lot of like just bombs you could drop and and, and then watch other people scatter. Why do they call because...
2: it the Big Apple? Or did you know that Bushwick used to be the capital of brewing um, in America for the better part of half a century?
4: Yeah, and then the Bourbon Barons came along. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, weird piece of knowledge, I know, um, <laughs> which is not often. Um, I was going to talk to you about the menu. So sure. you're not a professional bartender, no. but at this point, three years of doing it,
2: I can ah, call you know. Us. I call myself a professional home bartender. That's that's the a phrase I want to use. I'm a professional, I'm a professional, professional non-professional. Home, professional home bartender. I love mm-hmm. all the,
3: the linguistic acrobatics.
2: Pro. am <laughs> <thing. laughs> My wife had a great two. phrase. She called me a cocktail personality. I'm yeah. like, oh shit, they uh, am a cocktail personality.
4: Okay, yeah, yeah. Pro am, right? Pro-am. <laughs> like, um, like the Pan Am, Pan Am clipper on the, the menu. Yeah. So let's talk about the menu. The shoot. menu changes seasonally. It does. It's relatively short, and why wouldn't it? But you only got ten guests. 10. Also, I would, I, I will backtrack a little bit. Shoot. When you have your eight guests sitting, yes. The end, do you like? introduce everyone?
2: So um, every cocktail club... Guys, this night- is Kate. This
4: is John. This is, you know, like, Do you go down the? little...
2: Dude, I, I used to be terrible with names. I've gotten so good at names now. Yeah. So good at names because I, I have to when I have to remember what people ordered. Um, so uh, I generally start the night off. Everyone comes in more or less on time um, and I say, hey, my name is Matt. I'm a native Brooklynite born and bred in Flatbush and uh, the last the interesting thing that happened to me in six weeks was I was flown to Boise, Idaho uh, for a two-hour bartending gig in a bar in a supermarket pouring highballs for Q-Tonic and then flown back the next morning it was dope <laughs> Boise is a lot of fun uh, hashtag from Boise to Brooklyn no from Brooklyn to Boise other way around um, next go and that's how that happens and occasionally not every time but occasionally someone's random conversational uh, bio, bio will spark a night's worth of conversation. Sure. Like the time we learned that this dude who grew up in Austin, Texas was kicked out of Australian rabbinical school because he got drunk uh, in his underwear and like infiltrated a party or, or maybe he got <laughs> drunk at the party and infiltrated the, uh, the, door, the dormitory, something like that. Um, and then that was just a, a night's worth of conversation. Like what the fuck were you doing in Australia at rabbinical school if you're from Texas? Yeah. <laughs> you know that kind of shit
4: sure that's, i mean yeah because i try and i'm sure greg does as well i think all bartenders do i try and listen in on conversations that are happening at the bar from one end to the other and if yeah. i hear things that are like oh this guy is interested in this uh, and this guy down here's talking about something that's similar enough these guys should meet right right like i connect people i've i've literally been the middleman for million dollar deals like Aww. it's amazing that's amazing right you, you got a commish right <laughs> I think I'm, I'm well cared for um, Yeah so uh, you know And certainly we've introduced people who've become couples And yeah. gone on to get married and yeah. you know stuff like that Happens all the time so you know I have to imagine again if it's in your home And it's only a limited amount of people 10 people You have to be like it's more homey it's very homey. Like everybody gets to know everybody's name. I don't really so, need to so, so these people are coming to this for, for this experience and yeah. they're walking out of there with like, Yay, the experience that was fun. Yeah. And we got some New grace. friends. We got a little buzz and maybe we got some new friends. I've I've watched
2: um couples cu- that came separately. Leave together, if you know. It. No, I'm not saying that. Uh, yeah. I'm saying they left together to go, go to another bar. <laughs> right,
3: and then after that, and then after that, you <laughs> yeah, know,
2: yeah. we, could, we um, can only speculate. But uh, yeah, and but because uh, interesting note is that because it's maximum ten people, but more often than not six to eight. Um, I don't need to socially engineer. You talk to you because you talk about the same thing, right? Because it's so small and quiet. We're already here. Everyone for the same can thing. hear one another, and the conversations generally percolate themselves. So I don't need to do a lot of Emily posting. As it were. Um, but I do, and this reminds me um, to, to share the anecdote, the end of every night, um, I have people sign my guest book, and I always ask for three pieces of information. I ask for their social security number, their bank account number, ba-dum-tsh. I ask for their name. <laughs> I ask for where they're from. And where you, they're from could be D.C. or it could be what, whatever neighborhood you live in in New York City today, right? Um, or one of the million states you you, you lived in. Yeah. Um, and I only, the third thing I ask for is a booze-related anecdote that I try and pick up during the night's conversation. Um, so it might be, uh, what would be your desert island cocktail? Or it might be, what was the weirdest thing you've had in the weirdest place you've had it? Or it might be, um, if we were talking about wine, what do you wish you could make with a wine in the cocktail? For example, I just try and pluck things, but I keep it to the same theme of drinking because that's what we're doing. So you're like
3: the non evil version of a reality TV producer. Thank basically. You. Yeah. It's I like appreciate you've got, that. You've got all these, these <laughs> things you can keep in your back pocket that if things get a little stayed and static, you can right. kind of like stir things up a little right. bit, but mostly you just kind of let nature take its course. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's lovely. Yeah. It's a lovely time.
4: All right, let's talk about menu. Do it. You change it seasonally, four times a year, I assume. It, I do. And um, where do you derive your inspiration, and how do you put these menus together? Cool. Let's, let's talk about that. Yeah,
2: so it's always eight drinks. Um, it's always eight drinks plus whatever batched cocktails I have in the freezer, um, anywhere from three to four. This was a batched. This was a leftover from the summer menu, of the Banana Vardier 3.0. Um, so of the eight drinks, I, I'm always – I'm I'm a nerd. I like drinking. I like reading about drinking. I like talking about drinking. I like learning about drinking. So whenever I see a cocktail or an ingredient uh, that I'm unfamiliar with or something that catches my eye, I shuffle that away into a future menu possible drink. Um, I've always wanted to make a Pan Am Clipper. I've got the smoked Pan Am Clipper on the fall menu right now because the fall menu is divided between um, uh, fire-inspired cocktails, one of which is yours, the Burning Love, <clears throat> and nope.
4: In my book, I'm just here for the drinks. Available at Amazon.com.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Shameless. Um, and, uh, and smoke-inspired cocktails, four and four. So I, I read a Punch article about Sinjin Frazel from Fort Defiance yep. um, being obsessed with the Pan Am Clipper, and it's historic, and it's brandy-based, and it's delicious, and it's historic. So I'm like, how can I modernize this? And so I modernize it by smoking it with Applewood. Uh, Which, again, applewood, fall, you know, seasonal fruits, yada, yada. Makes sense. And it makes this delicious kind of fruity, florally, chewy type of cocktail, which is nice. So that's a a historical drink that was updated by a very talented, tremendous bartender of, of Fort Defiance. And then I put my personal spin on it. Mm-hmm. Um, your drink on the menu, because I'm a fan of your work, shameless, um, is straight from the book to, to my menu, except thanks for the tips on how, how yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: need to proof up the, uh, the genopy. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I didn't, I didn't think about the notion that there are genopies out there that aren't that yeah, high. Yeah. And the one that I typically use is 49%. Right, right. Um. drink um, involves being set on fire and. Doused. <laughs> the the genopy that you're using isn't. High enough exactly. to, to stay to stay a lit.
2: So what else? Um, I for Winter's coming, right? Oh, winter is coming. Um, and for me, winter means scotch, and it means, and I want it to mean uh, aquavit. Like, I want to do, I'm having a lot of fun with aquavit. My spring menu, which was the most complicated menu I've ever done, was uh, flowers-inspired cocktails and roots-inspired cocktails. Oof. So the roots side of things had an aquavit Negroni with carrot-infused Campari fantastic. Um, it had a drink called Le Diamant, uh, which is a neighborhood in Martinique. My family and I took a family, uh, vacation in February to Martinique, brought home a bunch of agricole. Um, and it, that one involved turmeric liqueur, uh, honey-drinking vinegar, uh, Jamaican rum, agricole rum, and lime. And it was, oh, wow, it was awesome. It's a good one. And so I just, I come up with ideas, and I shuffle them away in my brain, and then I pull them out again when it's time. And I try and split the drinks on the menu between historical drinks uh, contemporary drinks and my own drinks
4: Nice Thank you Eight drinks on the menu But Eight. the run of show is four drinks per guest And one of them isn't on the menu
2: uh, Two of them aren't on the menu Oh, right um, the, the first one and the last
4: one <clears throat> Right, right, right
2: <laughs> uh, The first one is always a batch pair of It's easier for me to get them all out at once When I've got ten people showing up at my bar And i got to make everything myself Because I'm the bartender and it's, If I'm sick, then it doesn't happen um, Occasionally, I get a bar back I've got, this is a really sweet story. I have people that have been to my cocktail club as imbibers and they love it so much. They've come back to bar back for me, uh, because they, they love the experience and they just want to be a part of it. And they give them some scratch at the end of the night, of course, but they clean the drinks and they clean the snacks, etc., etc.
4: See, this is what a stage is for. <laughs> you don't have to give them any scratch at the end of the night.
2: Oh, <laughs> um, I love my barbacks; They're amazing. Shout out to Isabel bar Um, Anywho, uh, menu, (laughs) was I, am so sorry. Oh, four drinks per person. Batch aperitif at the beginning, generally lower ABV. The fall aperitif is a stone fence. Um, It's uh, an ounce of whatever um, I'm pouring, um, uh, two ounces of fresh pressed apple cider, and then a dash of Ango, but I think I'm going to switch it over to uh, a Bergamot Bitters. I got it at your shop.
4: Um, oh, from Scrappies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, yeah, the
2: one. Um, uh, or, or, or Allspice Dram. I've got some dwindling all, Allspice Dram on my menu. Boom. Aperitif. Two drinks. I'm sorry, I ramble. Uh, I'm a tour guide uh, <laughs> at heart. Um, uh, two drinks of people's choice, the individual choice of the drink menu. And then there's a parting shot. And the parting shot is generally a selection of Amari from my home, uh, insane home bar or some weird booze that I have, like Scandinavian stuff. Or I've got some fermented maple tree syrup. That was given to me by the good people at Honey's Meadery. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got some uh, weird Asian liquors. I've got like a lot of weird esoteric alcohol. And I, I let people pick and choose. I basically line it up on the bar. We do a sniff test with a description around the bar, which is always messy because at this point people are wasted. Because I <laughs> make drinks the way I drink drinks, which is spirit forward yeah. and balanced and flavorful. Um, and then people get the parting shot and then they, then they leave. So, people How? for the for the parting <laughs>
3: shot is it? Does everybody have to agree on like we're all no, doing no, this no. one together? No, no, no. Okay.
2: If I line up three amari and three Scandinavian is like an Icelandic brush liqueur, um a Norwegian aquavit, and uh, a, a, a seaweed dill Um I do a, a sniff test of each of the six bottles, and everyone at the at the bar picks which one they want, and they get a three quarter to an ounce pour, and they sip it, and then they go.
4: And you do two seatings a night.
2: No, God, no, Jesus. Oh, it's just once. <laughs> Christ, man. Don't, <laughs> don't give me a heart attack, Souther. Okay. No, 9 p.m. I'm like, it starts at 9. Um, it's done between midnight and 1. Wow. Yeah.
4: That's a lengthy run.
2: Uh, well, you know, it's, it's me doing everything, and sure. I can only batch them as much as I can.
4: Got it. What do you do? Uh, it's kind of going to, we need to wrap up soon, but yeah. how, do you, how do you stock your bar? Um, I buy at retail. Yeah. I, I take advantage of whatever sales Aster Wines
2: has. Sure. Uh, I love that 15%. Um, and whenever I travel, I bring home stuff. I was just in uh, uh, I was just in Boise, Idaho. Thank you, Qtonic. Uh, the, the official mixer sponsor, the Cover Cocktail Club. Yeah. Um, and I brought home a blueberry vodka, which I was told re- was really good. I'm excited about using it as a modifier. I brought home uh, a super floral gin. Um, and that's just how I get my stuff. Um, I re- because of the amount I have to use for the base spirits, I buy my base spirits retail here in New York City. I'm using Rittenhouse Rye because it's amazing. I'm using Broker's Gin because it's amazing, etc. Um, but I do I have been meeting a lot of brand ambassadors who have been very happy to ply me with booze, and in that case, I use Banez Mezcal for this menu because sure. thanks Mariah got a bunch of Banez Mezcal. I'm using Hamden Estates uh, Rum. Uh, thank you Jan Warren because. It's delicious rum, and I got a couple bottles, and that's the rum in the trouble in the jungle cocktail.
4: Nice, yeah, pretty amazing. If Thank uh, you. people want to get a hold of you and come to the covert Cock- Cock- cocktail club, <laughs> how how does one go about it?
2: Um, uh, CovertCocktailClub.com, dot com, and you can click on the calendar, book an appointment. People think because of a weird booking. Uh, 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 snafu, I was booked out until uh, uh, June of 2020. I'm not. I have availability as early as this Friday, well into the rest of the fall. So, covertcocktailclub.com or on Instagram at club.
4: Yeah, right on. Yeah. Excellent, man. Thank you, Southern. Really good sitting down with you and talking about the covert cocktail club. Really uh, ramps up my Thanks, interest Greg. in coming yeah. and, and enjoying the the experience over there so i'll i'll I'll, cheers industry well i'll I'll stay tuned for industry night but i'll also just try and figure out a night where i can not be at work and come over and do the thing you'd
2: be my guest of honor
4: yeah i'd love to be there um and thank you greg
2: yeah
3: anytime man i'm i'm also looking forward to dropping by. well you and i are neighbors we we live on the same street yeah on can we say the name of it we can say it covert Covert street Street.
4: (laughs) yeah yeah hence the name right covert cocktail club on covert street um well, thanks everybody for tuning into the Speakeasy. Please look out for me at the Union Square Holiday Market. It starts on November 21st and runs all the way through December 24th. So if you're in the city, come by and buy some bitters, co- signed copies of my books. Uh, both I'm just here for the drinks and uh, let's get Blitzen. Let's get let's get Blitzin will be available uh, for sale online starting in about a week. So take a look out for that one. It's a holiday cocktail book. It's not necessarily Christmas. Uh, it's more. Large format cocktails, how-tos, so that you're not trapped making drinks uh, while your party's going on. Uh, but we just kind of skinned it with a theme of the holidays. Happy alcohol holidays days <laughs> uh, is our tagline. Uh, well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the Speakeasy. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.
3: Don't, Don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. No. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The road. Oh, right.
4: The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network.
3: Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization